From MIT Technology Review, I'm Laurel Ruma, and this is Business Lab, the show that helps business leaders make sense of new technologies coming out of the lab and into the marketplace. Our topic today is cybersecurity and corporate accountability. In recent years, cybersecurity has become a board-level concern, with damaged reputation, lost revenue, and enormous amounts of data stolen. As the attack surface grows, chief information security officers will have increasing accountability for knowing where to expect the next attack and how to explain how it happened. Two words for you. Outside in, visibility. My guest is Niall Brown, who's the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks. Niall has decades of experience in managing global security, compliance, and risk management programs for financial institutions, cloud providers, and technology services companies. He's on Google's CISO Advisory Board. This episode of Business Lab is produced in association with Palo Alto Networks. Welcome, Niall. Excellent. Thank you, Laura, for having me. So as a Chief Information Security Officer, or a CISO, you're responsible for securing both Palo Alto Networks products and the company itself. But you're not securing just any old company. You're securing a security company that secures other companies. How is that different? Yeah, so I think, I mean, the the, the beautiful thing about Palo Alto Networks is, is basically we're the largest cybersecurity company in the world. So we really get to see what an awful lot of companies never get to see. And if you think about it, one of the key things is knowledge is power. So the more you know about your adversaries, <clears throat> what are they doing, what att- methods they're, 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 they're attempting on the network, what are the controls that work and what are the controls that don't work, the better you are to create your own internal strategy to help protect against those continuous attacks. And you're in a much better position, basically, to be able to provide that data to the board so they can ensure that the appropriate oversight's in place. So certainly for us, basically, with that level of basically knowledge of what we get to see in our networks, that really gives us the opportunity to continuously innovate. So taking our products and continuously building on those so we can basically kind of meet kind of the customer requirements and then the industry requirements. So I think that's probably the first part. The second part is we're really kind of all in this boat together. So part of my job is continuously talking to individuals in the industry and fellow CISOs, CTOs, CIOs, and CEOs, talking about cybersecurity strategy. And, and, and invariably, you'll, you'll find the same issues that they're having are the exact same issues that we're having. So for us, it's really the opportunity to, how do we ensure, basically, that we're able to continuously innovate, make a difference in the industry, and really collaborate on an ongoing basis with, with, with basically industry leaders on how do we secure the internet and how do we make our companies more more secure. So some people may be surprised that collaboration and this kind of open sharing of knowledge is so prevalent, but it, they shouldn't be, right? Because how else are you going to all collectively defend against the unknown attackers? Yeah, I mean, great question. And if you look at it on the opposite side of the fence, like hackers, are continuously sharing, you know, albeit they're sharing for financial gain. In other words, they'll steal data and they'll resell it and resell it and resell it and resell it. Hackers are continuously sharing that data. And and on the security side of the house, there's always been historically that legacy suspicion. In other words, basically, I'm the only person who's having this problem uniquely. And if I share this problem, they'll think basically that 
where I'm not doing a good job or the company isn't doing a good job, or I'm the only person who's having this specific issue. And what happened over time is CISOs and, and didn't share a lot of data, which means the hackers were sharing data right, left, and center. But on the CISO side of the house, on the protection side, there was very little kind of collaboration, which meant basically that now you had no industry best practices. Each CISO was in their own silo, in their own pillar, doing their own unique thing, and everybody was learning from their own mistakes. So it was really kind of a one-to-one model. You make a mistake, and then you make another mistake, and then you make another mistake. Whether if you could talk to your peer in, uh, imagine in business or finance, you're continuously talking to the CTO and the CFO to say, oh, by the way, how did you manage such and such an account from there? So I'm now seeing basically the industry starting to change. CISOs are starting to continuously change uh, share. They're continuously talking about strategy. They're continuing talking about basically how do they protect their environment. They're talking about basically what are some of the good business models that work. And if you look at MIT, very much basically there's industry and technical and business models that really work in other industries. But then if you look in the CISO community itself, it's like, what are those industry best practices? And now they're only getting, they're only starting to get kind of formulate up, bubble up from there. And what I'm seeing certainly over the last, I would say three or four years, there's a tremendous growth on the CISOs in relation to learning industry best practices and really basically up-leveling their skill sets. So they're just not basically that, you know, technical geek in the corner. You know, they really need to be able to talk business technology, be able to talk business terms, and really be able to see as kind of that that close peer to that CTO, to the CIO, to the CEO in relation to, to solving business problems. Because if you think about it from a cybersecurity perspective, at the end of the day, it's just a business problem. And if it's a business problem, you need to apply strategic business solutions to solving to solving those issues. Instead of talking about what version of antivirus you're on, you really need to up-level the conversation so that basically when you speak to the board, when you're speaking at the same C-level executive, they're not throwing their eyes in the air. They understand it. You're talking the same language from there, um, which means, again, if you're a trusted business partner, then you can make a huge amount more difference in the company as opposed to basically seeing, being seen as that junior IT leader in, in the organization that somebody only ever comes to if we get hacked or if a backup fails or if a Mac is broken. I really like that uh, analogy slash growth of the position itself. You Like you said, it does actually elevate this role to the board table because it is a business problem with a possible business solution. But how can boards then in return make better decisions? Like you will then also have to bring some data and information and, and something to help the board along with all of the other decisions they have to make across the entire company. And that's the key thing is, is that most people, when they look at it, you know, it's, it's, it's a classical sales. You know, sales, you can have the best salesperson in, in the business, but unless they have the perfect, unless they have the close, and the close is the ask, you know, here's a great product, and I want to sell this product, i.e. this car, for, let's say, $50,000, and then at the end of the sales pitch, Will you buy the car? And that's what makes a really good salesperson. The person that has the pitch to close, they're able to ability to close the deal. So they ask for something. So I think for ages, CISOs had two big issues with board. <clears throat> One is basically they weren't able to report the right data up to the board uh, and speak the same language where the board would be able to understand what the issues were. And then two, there was no ask. And that's very, that's very important because, you know, if you go into a board and you present basically and everybody's nodding and shaking their hand and understanding it, sure, you've updated them, 
but they see the security posture is none the better. And if you look at a classical board, any board itself, they're there at a very, very high level, obviously, to basically serve the company from there. So any of the board members or any of the boards that I've, I've worked with in the past, they have been extremely willing to, to, to help the business itself. So they're always looking at, well, you, you presented X, but now how can, how can I help from there? So I think, you know, CISOs need to flip it into, into more of basically being that, that, that salesperson with the clothes, like what's my ask? And, and a classic board meeting, I think that goes well is, is you sit down, you work with the board, you show a core set of, metrics now you don't want to show metrics on, on on numbers that are absolutely meaningless to board if you look at the board the board has a w- wide range of skill sets you know some board members may be compliance experts uh, some may be business leaders some may be finance leaders so it's really about in, in when you communicate with the board two sets of things one is basically coming up with a set of communications or metrics and really outlining the business case so that anybody can read a board deck and within minutes, they understand what you're trying to get across. That's critical. And then the second part is every single board meeting should end. It's not a presentation. You know, every board meeting should end basically with time at the end for questions and answers and for the ask. And I would say a, a good board meeting is whereby you don't even go through the deck. You share the deck in advance. They've read through it. They were able to understand your cybersecurity posture by just looking at your deck. And then the board meeting doesn't even refer to deck. It's a simple set of questions, comments back and forth, and then the ask. And the ask can be, listen, can we get some more um, focus on a certain area itself or more resources from there? Or they may have an ask of you as well. So again, I think this the, the model really is, is, is coming out a core set of data and then making it a conversation with a collaborative ask from both sides versus coming up with like a 30-slide deck that nobody understands that you present it and then you run out of the board meeting from there. That model just just doesn't work as we know. Yeah, not for anyone, right? So <laughs> what specific metrics do you actually uh, report back to the board? And, and why are those metrics important to your board or, or any other board? The issue would, 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 in any industry, including cybersecurity, is sometimes there's just too much data. So, you know, if you look at like uh, industry standards like ISO 27001, you may have 100 and something controls. If you look at FedRAMP, you've got 300 and something controls. If you look at COSO or COVID, now you're, so you, you don't want to go to the board with, by the way, here's 2,000 controls and here's how we're in compliance with these 1,000 controls. Because for the most part, the, the data is there, but there's no context behind it. So they're wondering, is like like AV being on like 95% of endpoints, is that good? Uh, we scan once every, let's say, 12 hours, is that good? So they're what, what I call like meaningless metrics. They have no benefit whatsoever for most InfoSec people, never mind kind of board level people. So from our point of view, we, we break it into, into like simple core sets of pillars that we can measure over time. And generally, you don't want to have a set of pillars that's 25 pillars because that's too many because you're not able to measure one versus 25. So internally, we generally settle in about five kind of major core areas that we focus in on, and we measure against those each each time. So one is basically secure our products. Most organizations are very, very product-centric now. So products in most companies are becoming critical, critical, critical. So one, way, one thing we measure is how are we basically measuring, how are we protecting uh, our products from there? And we rate ourselves on a scale of like zero up to five being kind of maximum maturity. Now, if you have really good products, 
but they're sitting on infrastructure that's insecure, you have an issue. So the second one is secure our infrastructure. And third one basically, you know, shifting right is is detection response. So that, you know, if you've got really secure products on really secure infrastructure, but nobody's looking at it and nobody's measuring or manage, monitoring the environment for attacks, then you have an issue. So for us, it's detection response is, th- is the third one, which is critical. The fourth one then is people. And the people component is, is absolutely, ver- you know, I, I can't stress this enough because, you know, if you don't have people that understand cybersecurity, then you've got a core issue. The vast majority of times it's people that do something in an inadvertent, accidental, like me, they may click on, click on a phishing link that compromises your network. So one, one thing, what we call it is street smart. So one of the four pillars is, can we get people so they're street smart? In other words, cybersecurity smart, street smart. So if they're walking down the road and they see a stranger, uh, looks suspicious, well, hang on, you know, use your gut. Same thing with cybersecurity. What are the simple things that they should do and think about on a day-to-day basis that they can protect a company? And then the fifth one really is governance. How do we do governance and how do we manage ourselves and how do we measure our success? So if you look at there, it's five simple pillars. It's just simply product, infrastructure, detection, response, people, and governance. And we measure zero to five for each of those. So then it's very easy basically for the board and for other members to look at how are we trending against those areas over over time? It allows you to go high, in other words, a thousand foot view. And then if there's a question in infrastructure, you can look at the measurement, the infrastructure pillar, and then you, you can start jumping into other metrics later if they want. But it really that that's the, the way we kind of articulate that, how we built our, our security program from there. And it's something that I think that resonates very strongly with the board because now they're able to to measure us based on unknown entities versus kind of meaningless metrics that, you know, for the most part, tell them nothing. Now, what if we switch that, though? What kind of responsibility does the board have to be, quote, quote, street smart and uh, have some kind of foundational understanding of cybersecurity? Or do you take that on as your own personal responsibility to spend time with each member to make sure they understand the foundations? Correct. Yeah. So, so for us, it's very much a case of like of, of of taking a certain level of knowledge and then building on that knowledge. So at least everybody's on on the same level of knowledge. So one example is, you know, again, you could have somebody who's very, you know, somebody who's like chairing that audit committee, uh, who's very very technical or very very compliance driven, and she or he may know all about basic boards and and board communications and audits. And, and, and all the frameworks, and that's great. And then the other side, you might may have somebody who's basically more finance-based and more audit-based. And then the question is like, how do you work on up-leveling everybody's skill set? And there's numerous different ways of doing that. One is like when, when a new person joins a board or oftentimes security may report into, into the audit committee, when they report into the, from there, it's really basically two things. Is one is, is basically sitting down with them one-on-one and then providing basically an up-level conversation on, you know, this is what we're doing. This is our entire security program. This is how it works. This is what 2020 looked like. This is what 2021. So getting everybody onto the same level level and building that relationship is, is, is very, very important. Uh, and we continuously see that whereby uh, our board levels will reach out to us, us or we'll reach out to them um, in sharing kind of data or they'll have an ID 
uh, that we haven't thought about and say, well, that's a really good idea. Let's incorporate that into, into our program. So I think that's going to be very useful. And then the second part is it's, it's all about telling a story. So like, you know, a story and a narrative. So if you open up a book and you start at the security side and you start a basically at the end chapter, well, that's not, that's not very compelling. It's like, like, who's Jane? Who's Judy? Who's Tim? Who's Tony? Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And oftentimes that's what happens in cybersecurity reports is that um, the board is looking at like, and here's, here's she or he that's presenting as a CISO and they're presenting a set of data and metrics that they don't understand it. So therefore they can't do anything with that. So we spend a lot of time basically, you know, board, you know, our first board basically going at a, you know, starting off with a basic set of principles. And then each board after that, every three months or so, we go into more detail as we're growing, as it was we're building basically that that cybersecurity deck, they get to better understand and up level their 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 understanding as well. And then from their side, with that level of understanding, they can very easily jump in and say, oh by the way, here's an area I think you should be focusing in on from there. And and, and on our board we have basically um you know some VC firms obviously that are highly technical and they'll have a slant that they'll want us to focus in on. And we'll say, sure, let's let's incorporate that as part of our program from there. So I think I would see this as basically board communication as a very much uh, back and forth communication. It shouldn't happen once a quarter. Uh, it should happen not on a daily basis, but certainly it should happen throughout the quarter whereby a board member has an ID. And then you can incorporate that as part of your best practices. Now, at the same time, you want basically the, 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 the staff within within that company to be able to run operationally run their security team but certainly basically the insights a board member can provide in some cases are tremendously benefit because they've been in that industry for for numerous different years uh, and, and as part of that model from there they would typically have seen what other individuals have never seen before plus i think what's mostly beneficial from there in cybersecurity, cybersecurity again, it's a business problem and it's a business process. So most of these board members are exceptional at solving business practices. Maybe not cybersecurity, but they can take a cybersecurity issue and see, and they can relate that to another business best practices, and then leverage that one in cybersecurity. And frankly, I think that's the best value a board can provide. Many times, the CISO and the security team may not be able to see the wood from the trees because they're so involved in it. The board members are, 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 it's a great kind of prism whereby they can look at it from the outside in from there and they can provide insight based on, oh, hang on a second. The way you're solving this issue based on cybersecurity by, by doing a consulting model, that doesn't work or that doesn't scale. Instead, you should do a, a one to many model, i.e., fix the problem once and then share it amongst all your constituents, the same as cloud that does, software as a service does. So that business slant, business perspective, I think it is something that that I really enjoy like working with the board with sharing some ideas and then collaborating back and forth because again their I think their business acumen is is second to none and if you can simply basically slide cybersecurity as being a business issue then you can really build a very strong kind of cohesive collaborative environment really quickly. So speaking of your own upleveling or upskilling when did you first recognize that uh, attack surface management was a separate new discipline that you needed to become really familiar with, educate your board on, and then help your you know staff it and plan for it? Yeah, I mean, good question. And I think, you know, if I look at ASM or attack surface management, that's probably one of the areas that CISOs focus 
least on, and yet is the most important. And and the reason for that is, if you look at any hacker, you know, if a hacker wants to compromise your environment, um, they'll typically basically the first thing they want to do is you've got to know your environment. So the example is, you know, if you have a burglar wants to break into a housing estate, she or he will often kind of wander around the housing estate, take a look, you know, which which are which are the houses that have the bins out from there, which ones have the ground floor windows that are open. Which ones basically have, you know, no lights basically on the front of the house? You know, which one has the dog barking? So you wander by, and you're simply, all you're doing is a recon. You know, quick walk by, 20 houses in, in, a, in a housing estate. You pick out the two. Now you've got two targets. Then you come back later on in the night, and you come back tomorrow evening, and then you break into those two, done. And again, like looking at basically, like the way different industries do it is fascinating because if you look at one industry, I, you know, physical security, and then you apply it to cybersecurity, or basically you apply it to the board, oftentimes there's very there's a huge amount of similarities. And same thing with cybersecurity is basically if a company wants to to compromise your environment, you know, there's two ways it will generally happen. It's one is they're generally doing a, a network scan and they look at your company and they find you have weak security and then they turn their head back and they're like, oh interesting. Back door is open. I'm going to focus in on this company. Or else two bases, same thing as well, they're doing a recon, but they already know who you are. And in this case, they want to learn as much as possible so they can compromise you deeply in your network. So before you do any hacking environment, the recon component is the most critical part. Otherwise, you're a bull in a china shop. Like you're rushing in, you're, you're knocking off sensors right, left, and center. You shouldn't be going the front door. You should be going in the back door. So the recon component of that is critical, critical, critical. Now, if you ask spacing, most CISO spacing, like when was the last time they reconned their own company? The vast majority will say, I have no idea whatsoever. So they may say, well, we use a security scanner. But if you look at a security scanner, a security, what you do is you go to security scanner, you, set, you, you put in a set of known IP addresses that you know about, and you scan against those IP addresses. But that's, you know, if you look at that, that's the tip of the iceberg, because what does the new industry model look like? It's fluid. You know, gone are the days of ACO. You know, cybersecurity would stand up a firewall and would allow traffic to the firewall. Now everything is extremely dynamic. Everything is internet facing. So now you've got like Kubernetes, you've got people spinning up like tens of thousands of containers with their own external IP addresses. They're all accessible from the internet. You've got dev doing it, stage doing it. You've got all of the different environments kind of from there. And now your attack surface every single minute of every single day changes. Some of it is basically, it's genuine. You know, you're allowing an IP address that's out there uh, because there's a legitimate business reason. But oftentimes what happens basically, people will spin up basically an environment and suddenly it's exposed from the internet. Does the security team know about it? Absolutely not. CISO has no idea about it. So the ability basically whereby you know, you get to know, you get to recon your environment or the ASM or attack surface basically uh, management is absolutely critical because if you if you don't know it, you can't protect it. And then the issue is like you could spin up an IP address in GCP or AWS or Alibaba. It could be on-prem. Everybody's now working from home. So my laptop could be exposed from the internet. And if you look at it, what always happens basically in, in virtually every single attack, um, well, for the most part, for most of them, it starts on the outside and it works its way in. So you really need to know your, your attack surface. You need to be scanning it every single minute of every single day. You need to be able to attribute basically what are the IP addresses and, and devices that are exposed. Simple examples. If you look at the last number of breaches that occur, it's simple stuff every single time. It's like a cluster 
that was exposed from the internet or somebody allowed like a transport uh, administration shell like SSH or RDP from the internet or somebody got like a, a Kubernetes cluster and exposed it from the internet. In each of these cases, it's just humans making accidental mistakes. But oftentimes those IP addresses could be exposed to the internet for minutes, for days, for years and security never gets to protect against it. But at the same time, the hacker knows because they're doing their job. They're doing the recon continuously. And that's where I'm seeing that this, this issue that's been around for years of basically of like, how do I know what's exposed from the internet? Now it's being kind of defined as basically attack surface management. What's my outside in view? So for the first time ever, cybersecurity are starting to, they knew there was a problem for ages, but they weren't able to articulate like what the problem was never mind what the solution was. And now I'm seeing the kind of the shift that in certainly the last year or two, people are saying, this is not a problem whereby I can look at and say, yeah, it's a problem. Now, basically, you've got to shift from basically this kind of problem idealization to, hey, we've got to go fix this because that's how the hackers are getting in. And now I'm seeing basically people saying, let's start fixing this. And, and I think going forward, you're going to have attack surface management is going to be one of the most critical components of any CISO and their organization. If not, then they're certainly, they will get owned, they will get compromised, and and it will have devastating impact to their business. So speaking of of that and how the board understands attack surface management, you know, most IT employees are going to take the path of, like you said, ease and expediency. They're spinning up Kubernetes and servers and cloud instances and whatever it may be because they just need to get the job done. Why is that when you have like a global company, such a problem with, um, or I should say, an opportunity to solve um, when you when you go through other business necessities like a merger and acquisition, where you may have two companies coming together and you think you know uh, where all the servers are, but in fact, uh, you know, company grows and changes every single day. And, and that may not be the last count, the last reliable count. Why is that a concern for for CISOs and the board? Uh, yeah, sure. So and I think about this is, is two ways. One is kind of know the tax surface of your own company. And then two, for any of your acquisitions, before you acquire them, you need to know what their their tax surface as well. So if you ask 99% of CISOs, basically, you know, tell me about my tax surface, they won't have the data to do that. So what's happening, so give an example, in Palo Alto Networks, we use Expanse. And, and the way that works is like there's four, you know, before you acquire a company, even like for your own company itself, like there's kind of four kind of main phases, I think about like a tax surface management. And this applies to whatever you're acquiring a company or you've integrated in the last 10 years within your organization. And the first part is basically is continuous discovery. So you've got to have the ability, and that's why we use Expanse, to, to continuously scan 24 by 7 by 365 every single IP address in the internet to work out like what IP addresses, what ports are open from there. So first of all, you've got to know basically all of the IP addresses and the ports on the internet. The issue there, that's fine, but it's not really going to give you much. So what's the difference between the IP address in Palo Alto Networks and the IP address of of Acme, especially when it changes every single minute because everything is dynamic. Everything changes continuously on the internet. So the second part really for us is, is the, the attribution. So everything is scanned, we do attribution. So we start looking at every single IP address, every single service, every single user in the internet to look at for those users themselves. Are, are they Palo Alto Networks users or Palo Alto Networks devices or, or networks? 
very critical because that way basically we're able to see at any time basically if somebody plugs in uh, a laptop basically in london we're able to get attribution that that's a, that's that's one of our devices and networks and if that networking device opens up like rdp like a remote shelf from the internet then that's an issue from there or basically if somebody spins up basically a network uh, that we have no idea what it is and it's got pii or healthcare data that would be devastating for us for a business. So we spend a lot of time using the tools such as Expands for the attribution component from there. Third component we, we, we look at, now you know the IP addresses and services, and you know which ones are Palo Alto networks. Next off that, like, there's varying risk levels. Like if somebody opens like something from the internet that's like a web server, and it's communicating using encryption, using SSL, and it's, it's well-patched, um, then for the most part, the risk in that case is probably one out of 10. But then if you've got another IP address that was spun up and it, it, it's allowing basically an internal engineering tool that was accidentally exposed to the internet uh, that has access to your cloud environments from there and it's not patched, and oftentimes it's not because when you look at tools that are exposed accidentally, they're not managed because if they were managed in the first place, they wouldn't be on, they wouldn't be exposed to the internet. So for us, really, the model is basically is is like what's the risk level of every single IP address and every single service from there, and we can then focus in on the ones that are eight or nine out of ten, and on a daily basis or on an hourly basis, we can kind of go go fix those. But oftentimes, again, it's it's a case of like if they're exposed in the internet, they're exposed. They're not patched. They're not managed from there. They're accidentally exposed from there. And then the final one we focus in on the problem now is here's a problem of scale. You're not talking about three IP addresses or four IP addresses. You could be talking about 40,000 IP addresses, 400,000 IP addresses, and then suddenly tomorrow it's 500,000. Then it goes down to 350,000 IP addresses. So because of the scale of the issue and because over time more and more things will be internet-facing, the only way to solve this is through automation, no doubt whatsoever. The, the issue of facing an alert being generated and somebody from the SOC jumping in looking at that IP address, looking at the service, and just doesn't work. So what needs to happen is everything needs to be automated, everything from the scanning perspective to the attribution component. What's the risk of that IP address? So now instead of you've got 500,000 IP addresses, and now you're focusing in on three IP addresses that suddenly popped up there. One is basically a, like one is like an SSH server. One could be like a talent server. Another could be an engineering tool. And then from the automation layer, you want to basically build automation into the service whereby the, that service is automatically remediated, whether it's patched or what it's taken offline from there. So, And if you look at that entire chain from there, it's the reverse of what the hacker is doing. Like the hacker is basically, they're, they're doing the recon, and then they're breaking into that service to compromise your environment. You're starting the same position as they are, where you should be. Like you should start with basically your tax service, your recon. And after that, then you're looking at your risk. You're looking at the patching, you're looking at taking offline, you're looking at automation. So I firmly believe if you look at with a drive towards the cloud, uh, people working from home, this concept of perimeter has been gone for like 10 years. It's been gone for 10 years, but cybersecurity has been hanging on to it and saying, well, there's still a perimeter, there isn't. So now basically every single device that's on the internet, that's its own perimeter, the device, the network, whatever else it is. And, and really, the, I, I think one of the certain the driving factors, if everything is on the internet, if everything is online from there, if everything is always communicating, if everything is dynamically changing from there, you have to have a cybersecurity program from there that's basically really has the ability to know 
tell me basically every single device that's on the network, on the internet, what's its risk level? And then for those that hit a certain risk level, either take it offline and apply controls. And by the way, you've got to do it 24 by 7 by 365. No humans involved. You've got to do that because of the scale of the issue. If you have a person that's involved as part of that process, then you are going to get failed. You are going to fail from there. Hence, basically, us, you know, leveraging basically tools like Expands to to find and then fix those fix those issues. Yeah, technology is scalable, but humans are not, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, Niall, I appreciate this conversation today. It's been absolutely fascinating, and it's given us so much to think about. So, thank you for joining us today on the Business Lab. No, thank you very much for that invitation. I uh, really enjoyed that conversation. That was Niall Brown the Chief Information Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks, who I spoke with from Cambridge, Massachusetts, the home of MIT and MIT Technology Review, overlooking the Charles River. That's it for this episode of Business Lab. I'm your host, Laurel Ruma. I'm the Director of Insights, the Custom Publishing Division of MIT Technology Review. We were founded in 1899, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And you can find us in print, on the web, and at dozens of events each year around the world. For more information about us and the show, please check out our website at technologyreview.com. The show is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll take a moment to rate and review us. Business Lab is a production of MIT Technology Review. This episode was produced by Collective Next. Thanks for listening.